Here is a reminder from the American Medical Association. Games, games. Here's some games. Games that want to get out. See? More games. Don't pour sulfuric acid on your genitals. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I didn't truly are. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and I keep getting funnier every single time this I see This is the Nerd Words Podcast. You guys care to comment? What do you mean, like, fine? On utilitymuffinlabs.com. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Nerd Words, a very special episode. Today, we're going to be doing something we probably should have done a couple of weeks ago. But, hey, you know what? This is the internet. Things happen, and they don't. So whatever. Um, we're going to be reviewing. I don't even know what any of that meant. We're going to be re- reviewing the pre-alpha uh, playtest rules for Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition. Uh, they were recently released to all of us uh, unwashed mass types. And uh, so, yeah, we're going to go through it kind of step by step. This is probably going to be broken up into at least two podcasts. Um, just because we are dealing with a pretty decent amount of material here, uh, all things considered. And we want to be technically accurate. I mean, the whole right. idea is is that, you know, other books, we've read enough to where we know we get the bulk. Right. The bulk is the point. This is more technical oriented. We want to make sure we read accurate, we get it accurate to you, and it's something when you're right. listening, you can go, yeah, that is what it is. <laughs> Maybe oh, you see your points, maybe you don't. Right. We're going we're gonna to go through it step by step, and we're going to kind of uh, – we're, we're probably not going to read through the entirety of the rules, but we'll read yes. enough so that you get the understanding of them. Um, and then just kind of give our review of it or, you know, give our opinions in, in a sort of free-form kind of manner. Crazy. Wow. We're going to be wacky. So anyways, we're going to start out here. Um, I think it's important that we just note um, the design goals because I think, for me, this is what I'm going to be going off of. Um, they talk about in the design goals before we wrote any rules, we spent a, a lot of time thinking about what we want the rules to accomplish. Some goals were clear and easy for us to describe, speed up play, make the rules easier to teach and to learn and create options for players to customize the rules to suit their preferred play style. But some of the goals are expressed less easily in rules and it's these areas in which we ask for your help today. They're, they're asking for our help, Bob. They'll so get it. Get we're going to give it to them whether they want it or not. Um, and then they talk about feedback and stuff. So we're just going to skip right into it. There's something I do enjoy, though, right? This mm-hmm. is like, so your goals, design goals, make sure they hit the mark. Mine's right. to make sure they hit their definition of what is Vampire the Masquerade. Right. Storytelling game of personal and political horror, which is different. It used to be just a storytelling game of personal horror. Right. But they realized that they're horror. It sounds like I'm selling horror every time. But uh, in Vampire, you are a monster. Right there, right? You are a vampire struggling for survival, supremacy, and your own fading humanity. You're afraid of what you are capable of, which is the personal half, and afraid of the inhuman conspiracies and mysteries that surround you. There's the political. I already like it. Right. So for me, one thing that I want to I wanna address, if you're not familiar with this game, this probably isn't the point you want to jump in. This is mostly going to be for people who have an understanding of the game already. If you want to play Vampire the Masquerade, um, read any of our podcasts uh, or read, listen to any of our podcasts on our other show. That'll give you a better understanding of like, hey, where do I jump in? So this is kind of both blind and deaf. This is kind of for the heads. You know, this is for the the vampire fans, um, you know, who might want our opinion or don't care, you know, whatever. I was trying to think like you, you would use Braille. 
if you can see, right, and you want to read something. Yeah, you but read, our, read our podcast, right. But if we're, they were deaf. It's it's all transcribed. No, it's not. Then they, you know what I mean? But we can't do that either. So yeah, ignore no, me. Ignore no. me completely. So anyways, let's not get too far off the rails here. You know what I mean? I was just making Oh, and also, if I sound extra sultry tonight, it's because I, I just woke up from a nap. I felt you all needed to know that. So anyways, let's get into the basic action resolution. Um, much like previous incarnations, this is a game that uses 10-sided dice. That has not changed. Um, it says Vampire is a dice pool game. This means for most actions, you roll a pool of 10-sided dice, D10s, uh, that represents some combination of traits on your character sheet. The most common dice pool is attribute plus skill. That is pretty much standard. So we get to a change right away. How to succeed. When you roll a dice pool, every die result that is six or higher is a success. This includes 10, represented as zero, on most D10s. So how is this different than, you know, V20 or any of the other previous incarnations? Well, to understand it, you understand what determines a difficulty in a die roll game like Vampire. Right. And what it used to be was you assign a diff varying difficulty between one through 10. Right. And that specific number or higher would be a success. This says it's six all day. Right. Don't worry about it. Just and, every time you get six or higher, you right. win. So then it goes on to tell you that the storyteller determines how many successes you need for each role. And so in the previous incarnation, it was the storyteller sets the difficulty. So let's say something super, super hard. It's a D10, right? Or, or you need a 10 to get a success. So the storyteller would tell you, okay, you need to get a 10 roll your dice pool and the varying degree of successes would indicate like how well you were able to succeed at something. Now it's, uh, the storyteller will set the difficulty based on number of successes. So something that's easy would be one success. Something that's standard would be two successes and all on the, Impossible you know, down the line successes. Right. We still see a theme one through 10, right? But now it's the number you get, not what you have to get. Right. So I'm curious, um, just real quick, since this is the first real change that we see, what are your opinions on this? It's absolutely faster. No player will ever wonder again, what well, I can't roll until you give me my difficulty. How often have you heard that in a game? Uh, yeah. Uh, and and even even with like skilled players, you know, they're they're always like, okay, what's my difficulty? And I, I don't I don't see that necessarily it's going to change because you're still going to have to set a success rate you know how what the you're difficulty. not looking at though is that they could roll beforehand that's fair do you see what i'm saying if it's not my turn i know i'm doing an action right. i know what that action is then i just pick up my dice and roll them. right i know all of my you know whatever dice i roll as long as it's six or above i'm third in line i tell you my right. action i roll my dice so um, looking at it from that perspective i can get behind that um for me the big thing was like it, it just didn't occur to me how that's not arbitrarily different like okay now instead of having a variable number to hit my successes, I just have to hit six, but I still need a variable variable number of successes to hit. The difference is, if you have a player roll ahead of time and you give them an assigned difficulty, they may have to pick up those dice. Right. Because they don't have, they, they didn't know an outcome or they don't feel right. comfortable rolling. Right. For some reason, it's in a player's head that I have to wait for the storyteller to roll the dice until I get that magical difficulty set. Right. right. But you don't in this. If it's six all day, Right. Six or above, so just roll the die. Right, exactly. Just, just, get, just get set. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I can definitely get behind that. I think uh, looking at it that way um, will make more sense. They talk about opposed roles, and that's really not too much different. I mean, there are some slight variations there, but it's not really that much different. It's the usual. Whoever right. gets the most wins. Um, 
the price of failure, if the role, if your role includes no successes, your character failed. Obviously, failure sometimes means only that your character didn't achieve the desired result. Sometimes it means more dire consequences occur. The storyteller defines what failure means according to situation and circumstances and decides whether or not you can try again after a failure. Here's another new thing. You may spend a point of willpower to re-roll any or all dice. See willpower below. Now, this is a great rule. Players with willpower now, well, when V5 launches, that's going to be a powerful point for it. Right. Because that's that's empowering the players. Right. Beforehand, you could use willpower for varying things, you know, ignore stunning blow, ignore pain difficulties from being injured, power some disciplines. But ultimately, who cared? It didn't really determine nothing. There's some powers that are based on it, but they're usually those rare ones that we're going to screw you up anyway. Sure. You know, it's like, if you didn't get this, yeah, okay, sure. You are you have a die pool of monumental. Right. You, odds are you were nailing me with it anyway. Inconsequential. But this says, ignore all that. Right. This is now a matter of pass or fail. Right. In, in, in the previous incarnation, it was like, oh, you can spend a willpower for an auto success. But there were always kind of caveats to that. With and it this, was hairy. Right. This script's like, for an auto, does that mean, wait a minute. I have to cut Kane's beard with my knife. Right. You know, the father of all vampires, I'm going to fight him with my butter knife. Right. I'm a sculptor. I have a chance of hurting him because I blew a willpower point. Right. Well, with this one, you can go, okay, well, you know, I'm not just the sculptor. You know, I have this ability. So let me use that willpower and re-roll. Maybe I just want to re-roll three of my dice. Maybe I want to re-roll the whole lot and see, you know, take my chances and see it's what the better is. It's a gamble. Right. Um, now, uh, another new thing that they've added here is succeed at a cost. If your role includes any successes but fails by one success, you may opt to succeed at a cost. You succeeded in your attempt, but something happened to make things worse for you anyway. You take damage, attract unfriendly and powerful notice, lose something uh, you value, etc., any player, including you or the storyteller, can su- can suggest the cost. If it's too high, you can always opt to fail instead. So that that adds adds like an interesting little dynamic, um, one that definitely wasn't there before, and uh, th- it seems like that that could be something very interesting. We're seeing here that they're they're kind of including things that allow you to get more creative. You know, they talk about how anybody in the room could go, "Hey, man, you could succeed. You could succeed in cutting Kane's beard," but uh, you know. It, Kane gives you the hairy eyeball and you go insane, like something ridiculous like that. Right. And you're like, it, but. you know, maybe I don't cut Kane's beard today. I'll just leave it to be what it is. The storyteller may rule that you cannot succeed at a cost in circumstances in which nobody can think of an adequate cost. All right. <laughs> so um, then they add another thing, which seems to be more for the purposes of speeding up combat situations or um, interactions with NPCs, and that's called take half. We encourage the storyteller to take half when making opposed roles for non-player characters to speed up action resolution whenever the situation seems appropriate. Can I? Yes. You finished the description. I'm sorry. I was. No, that's okay. To take half, count the number of dice in the opposed pool, divide in half, and that's the number of successes. Round up any fractions. So what does that do for you as a storyteller? To me, it's a no shit rule as a storyteller. Right. It's a no shit rule. I don't ever roll for all my NPCs. I don't. There's no there's no feasible way. I represent everybody in the world. Right. I'm going to speed the scene along. Right. And if the players have to fight this guy, 
I'm probably going to do this anyway in my head. Right. So, so let me ask you a question uh, on, on this subject. Like, what is the point of running a game? The point of running a game is telling an interesting story, but it's telling it for your players. Yep. Right. So it should not be a situation of, well, I've got, you know, badass Methuselah with, you know, 30 dice pool. Let's just, let's shake that can of dice and roll them on the table. I'm going to take half, 15. Right. Just screw it. You right. really think your players right. can still deal with half? Right. Exactly. But at the same time, it's like, all right, let's move it along. Your characters should have the ability to have those monumentally badass successes because they're the focus of your story. You know, they should be the focus of your story, not, you know, cutting Kane's beard, you know, like you're going to roll dice for Kane. Forget it. Right. Let's Move just along. Forget that. But this take half, I know what it's here for. <clears throat> they're coming at it from an angle of new people. Right. New storytellers or people getting into storytelling who necessarily didn't want to have to deal with a whole lot of dice anyway. Right. And then doing math and, you know, long division. and So this is the KISS method. Keep it simple and stupid. Right. You know, not that it's stupid, but just, you know, dumb it down. So uh, now they show us a basic action summary. Storyteller identifies the task or situation, throw a punch, climb a wall, etc., and whether the test is static or opposed. Static being something you, the individual, are doing or opposed. Are you getting in a fight with somebody, etc.? So static. I'm going to pick a lock. Right. Well, there's no one to oppose. It's just the lock. Right. But there's an assigned difficulty. Opposed. Remember? You know, I'm a hacker and you're a hacker and we're both trying to hack into the same system or yep. you're trying to keep me out and I'm trying to hack in. There you go. Storyteller determines a difficulty. This is a number of successes required if static or what pool to compare if opposed. So if we're getting into a boxing match, I roll my dice pool, you roll your dice pool. Uh, player creates a dice pool of D10s. So you take your your attribute and your ability and you combine them together to get your pool. And then you roll. Call it a day. Every six plus rolled equals one success. If the roll is opposed, storyteller rolls dice pool or takes half. Or if it's opposed against player to player, there you go. Uh, player needs successes equal to or more than difficulty or the number of opposed successes. Only one success short equals player can opt to succeed at a cost. So failed by one, succeed at a cost. Uh, seven, not enough successes equals a setback. Temporary failure could retry later possibly. No success equals totally f total failure, very bad consequences, or cannot retry. But but the technical read aside on this, what are we talking about here exactly? They're basically giving you rules that say your players can win. If somebody gets four out of five successes, then tell an interesting story based right. on how it was harder for them to win. They got the win, but some other dramatic situation developed from it because it wasn't a clean win. Or they didn't get enough successes, then they suffer a setback right now. Right. They didn't just fail. No one ever just failed to punch a guy. Yep. You know, usually if you did that, where'd that inertia go? Where'd their body end up? Right. They might be put in a compromising situation. What was the cost right. to the to failing? What was the point? No successes, total failure means they can not only can something happen that not only can they not retry, uh, but uh, very bad consequences right. from the total fail. Right. So and, it's, and it's it's up to your discretion as a storyteller. It, it's again back on the storyteller right. saying, right. tell the story. Right, exactly. And this gives you, it seems it gives you very simple key components to tell that story. Because, you know, before it was, all right, you roll your dice, you fail. Well, okay, so it's it's on you as a storyteller, and it should be, to tell that dramatic tale anyways. But this is giving you, you know, pegs to, to climb up. But we immediately know what a, what a posed roll nightmare that is. Mm -hmm. We In old system, there's slap fights. Right. How did two guys who have varying skill levels, but because their die pool's the same... That they're all night smacking each other. Right. 
this system says, no, they're not. Right. You're telling the story as a storyteller. One of those guys feeling one of those succeeding needs something. Right. So into what angle, to what twist, at least make it interesting to watch. Don't just let the dice, uh, don't let math be the story. So here's the other thing that is important to note now that we've gotten through the step-by-steps on how to, you know, take an action. They've removed some rules that uh, were found in previous editions. These are old school. These these have been around since, you know, back in the day. But I can't say I'm sad to see them go. I One, them. botch. So we don't need to botch if we understand the failure versus success. Ten again. Great. You rolled a ten. You super awesome Roll the ten again. Right. And, and why? Well, and, and you know, in, in the older system, you know, rolling a 10 was like super badass awesome. Well, now there's just a static level. Uh, there's a static. Everything six to 10 is a success. So it's not going to make a difference. It's the number of successes. So there's no point to have 10 agains and one's canceling. You know, how many times have you rolled just an amazing roll? You've got six dice. You've got three successes. And you know, they were all tens and you got three ones. So it's like, okay, arbitrarily, I lost all of that success because the dice were like, screw you. They tried to add more spice than needed in a die roll system. Right. And that's what it was. And finally, they acknowledged that, that it was redundant. Uh, when a dice pool includes a trait that has its own pool, such as willpower, always use the current value of the trait. This is a change from previous editions, which always used maximum trait values. So that's an interesting thing, too. That, you know, puts on you the player or you the storyteller whatever it behooves you to go hey i should probably watch what i do with my willpower because i'm judged by what i have not what my capacity is why this is a weird rule to me to take out is because i never use it that way i always used it the way they have it now right v5 it didn't make sense to me i have 10 willpower so it's always gonna be that hard to do whatever to me what if i drugged tortured you you have you're barely alive right and someone is is currently inflicting you with a power that makes you want to do what they say. No, no, I have 10 willpower. Right. I never, I <laughs> right, never right. listened to it. You know what I mean? It was like, no, nah, that's stupid. Right. Uh, some situations may impose penalties to a roll, and sometimes the penalties are so severe that the dice pool drops to zero or less. Penalties can never cause a pool to drop below one die. So essentially, you always have some small chance. However small it might be, you can't ever go below one. Why this is ridiculous to me is because I don't, I can't believe anybody ever did it that way. Zero dice means you can't do the action. Right. It's that simple. You don't even get an attempt because you don't have any dice. Right. To sit there and go, you got negative dice. I owe you dice, bro. Right. That's what this is. I'm sorry. Well, no, silly. But, well, you know, it, it is, but it's, it's, I can see why they added it because it gives, again, this is, to me, a lot of this is player service. It's, it's, it okay. definitely seems geared to that. me. Like by all these rules so far, that it's geared towards the pushing. It prevents the question later on, right? Like, well, I, I can't, I just can't do it. No, you can have a die. You, you can have one. There's always a small chance, but your difficulty's at a five. So, really, I mean, what are we looking at here? So, uh, you know, whatever. It's, like I said, it's kind of like a fan thing. Uh, all right, moving on. We're getting to character traits. Attributes. Characters have three attributes measured one through five, and that's physical, social, and mental. So they've done away from the three, you know, uh, different traits per each attribute um, and now just consolidated it. 
Characters may also have one specialty in each attribute, which describes their area of special expertise, focus, concentration, or luck. So the attribute and specialties will 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 look very familiar to people that have played the game before. So in your physical, you have specialties which include strength, dexterity, and stamina. You have social, uh, charisma, and manipulation, and appearance, and mental intelligence, wits, perception. So now instead of having to prioritize these three different uh, descriptors, you basically just bop, put your points in your physical. This is literally less is more. Right. There is less for you to worry about, less dots for you to juggle. It says a specialty grants a plus one bonus to dice pools, adds 1d10 to the dice pool. The storyteller decides when and if it's appropriate to include the specialty bonus in a roll. Exceptional characters may have more than one specialty in the same attribute. Cool. Yeah. I mean... Right. Cut and dry. Right. Cut it down. Uh, way less, uh, um, you know, prioritized. We reduced the number of attributes from nine to three and created these specializations because this allows players to customize and personalize their characters. I think it's very true. I think by doing that, I mean, just look at it, right? Mm-hmm. If I have a physical, social, mental category, same as everyone else, there's the comments. Right. Now I get up to three descriptors, three specialties per each one of the attributes I got to say what I'm good at. Right. You know what I mean? That's cool because it means it's diversification. Right. Um, to me, my my gut reaction is um, it, it there's less specialization. Um, I mean, the, the descriptors are now specialties. So, um, you know, you just have physical. And, well, I'm, I'm very dexterous. Okay. Well, you know, but... Uh, Look in terms of imagination. <clears throat> to anybody who needs the technical... If you need dice to tell you, what what your I mean this is this is me right and it's always been my pet peeve, so we used to have strength decks and stamina, right and, and and averages too, we're not gonna put seven dice or seven more dots in there to prove that I'm exceptional in those attributes. All right, cool. Uh, it's, uh there's an easier way to do that. Yeah, and an easier way. Boom, right there. No, and, and and I definitely get that. It, to me, looking so what we've gone through so far is just like how we've simplified the dice rolling scenario. And, um, you know, going, okay, well, hey, you know, you want to climb that ladder instead of having to go, oh, well, you know, my athletics and my dexterity are this much. You, you just, you take your physical and if you're specialized, get an extra die. <laughs> right. So, so I, I definitely get that it simplifies it. I just don't really understand the personalization thing. Cause to me, it seems less personalized, but well, I'm okay with that. The, even the example they give is that Bruja are always in the cut for the same attributes. Mm-hmm. Left and right. This says that you can actually pick three different areas. I really think in your example, you're correct. Like right. it's still going to matter, right? What type I do. Just the point is, is physicals are physicals. So if that's my main, and I'm a combat character. Why would I not have that still? Right. Fair enough. Cause we're only arguing a bonus dice, but at the same time, remember we're doing less work for the storyteller at this point. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, less things for the player to worry about. And in that, it's still a win. Right. So, uh, that, that's pretty much where they, you know, give you, then we drop down to skills. Skills are the abilities, knowledges, aptitudes, and expertise that each character possesses, rated one from one virtually unchanged to five expert. Skills can have specializations, just like attri- attribute attributes. <laughs> Skill specializations add plus one to your dice pool, and the storyteller decides when it's appropriate to add them. Just basically the same. For the purposes of this playtest, we'll assume that skills do exactly what their name suggests. 
and the storyteller can make any rulings that seem required for ease of play. Because this is talking about the sample playthrough, right? which right. most likely we won't get to tonight. Using skills. To use any skill, add the number of dice equal to the skill rating to a number of dice pool equal to the relevant attribute. That's the basic dice pool. So it seems like it's essentially the same. Um, they talk about um, uh, you know hacking into uh, a, de a police department database. Um, you take your mental, your technology, and databases, which must be a specialization, um, which they show here in the example. So it basically breaks down the same. It's just less there. You know, there's like you don't have to go. Uh, is this a is this a perception challenge? Is this an intelligence challenge? Nah, it's just a mental thing. You so take it. your mental dice, take your your ability, and slap them together, and now you've got a pool. So definitely more streamlined. Although skills are grouped under the attribute they're most commonly associated with, there's nothing preventing you from rolling a different combination should the ST deem appropriate. Not really anything different there. We introduced two new skills, physique. Feats of pure physical strength, such as lifting heavy objects or jumping across a long distance. Technology, which actually isn't new, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like technology was there in V20. So it's it's using technology, laptop computers, televisions, household appliances, etc. Uh, background and uh, backgrounds and merits. Backgrounds are character traits that define assets. They can be material, social, or supernatural, and they're usually acquired as part of the character creation or between game sessions. They can be used during play or between games. Merits are advantages that are linked to attributes, skills, backgrounds, clan, faction, or character or character trait. They are usually acquired at character creation, etc. So uh, basically, backgrounds and merits seem to be relatively unchanged, at least as what's presented here. I assume they're going to run off of the same or similar point scale. So from this, it kind of sounds like they're doing that uh, New World of Darkness Requiem type tie-in. Remember that like the backgrounds were tied to certain attributes. Yeah, uh, I, take, I'm not super familiar with it, but yeah, I mean it makes sense. It's a similar feel. I mean, we'll get to it, but right, it's, right now reading like that's what it is. Yeah, so it says, please note that any backgrounds or merits that appear in your character sheet are present to help you in role-playing your character. It's beyond the scope of this playtest to model the system for backgrounds and merits beyond noting that they exist and acknowledging that they are still in deep development. So basically, they're like, yeah, they're here, but don't worry about them for now. We'll get to those later. Willpower. Willpower measures a character's inner drive and competence at overcoming unfavorable odds. It is a reserve of personal strength that characters can expend to exert themselves forcefully. Willpower is a spendable trait, or pool, but the current value is always rolled rather than the maximum. So this is going to really put some Tremere into hot water. <laughs> put them uh, in the right spot. Right. After re-rolling a dice pool, spend a willpower to re-roll any or all dice in a single roll once. We already talked about that, except hunger dice, which we'll get to down below. Willpower is also used to model resistances by adding it to a relevant attribute in situations where your character is facing extreme stress, terror, coercion, provocation, etc. Um, so, I mean, that that makes sense. If I if I'm getting tortured, like you'd said, you know, I can use that willpower to try to like work against your you're torturing me, you know, right. just as an example. And, you know, maybe that goes with my physical, 
you know, I, I, I want to resist the pain that you're causing me. So I'm going to take my physical and I'm going to take my willpower and, you know, you're going to do whatever the role would be for your action. And, you know, we're going to butt heads, you know, proverbially, <laughs> right. proverbially. All right. So here's another interesting note. We reduced the willpower scale from one to 10 to one uh, to five for several reasons, which makes this even more problematic for those, you know, those people that now you don't have that 10 scale. You've got it at a one to five. Think about it though. If five success, if, if we got to weigh the difficulties one through 10, right. We don't need to have it going all the way up to 10. Right. And, and we're, we're, we're trying to like make our pools a bit more consistent and a one to five scale across the board instead of all these varying pools. It makes it easier to learn. It makes it easier to explain. And then they say off the bat on, on the scales that they're going to be using, you'll be rolling. Like you just said a little while ago, you'd be rolling with your willpower and attribute. Right. You know, one of the categories too, it's possible to do that depending on what it is or even a willpower and a skill. Who right. Knows? And, and they also note here very specifically, they've done that to increase the dramatic stakes by having willpower fluctuate more often during a story or chronicle. So it's, it's done intentionally. It's a turn to heat up. I don't have a problem with that. Virtue and vice. This is a new concept as well um, for Vampire the Masquerade. Um, those of you familiar with Requiem, it's not a, a new concept. So virtue and vice are traits that are central to defining your character. So basically, like uh, nature and demeanor, but this is a little bit different. Uh, you're always tempted by your vice, and surrendering surrendering to this temptation always refreshes one spent willpower up to one per scene. Being virtuous is always harder than giving into your vice. So whenever you follow your virtue virtue at per, personal risk, your entire spent willpower points refresh. So this makes those factors that guide your role play, your your character's personality, they definitely make them more pertinent in game. You know, um, it, it was always nature and demeanor was always kind of a vague concept for, for sure, for, you know, for regaining willpower and, you know, characters, a lot of times players had an issue with going, okay, but I'm, I'm trying to act in my nature, but also like I have this demeanor, so I'm not really sure how to role play. You know, I gotta, I gotta tell you though, still vague. Yeah. It's still gonna be the same way because it's the players that monitor their nature and demeanor. Right. It is up to them to ask the storyteller and say, Hey, you know, I think I'm feeling my soldier nature. Right. So would, would that count for this or not? Do you agree? And then state their case and the right. answer no should be the answer. That never happens. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's few and far between. Right. It does put a lot more onus on the storyteller though. Um, you know, it's it, it, for you as a storyteller, it's going to go, you know what? I, I noticed you were very generous in this and there was great personal cost. Go ahead exactly. and get your willpower back. And I or, agree. Or, you know, I noticed in that conversation, you were very arrogant, which is your vice. Go ahead and take a willpower. Which is what's awesome about that. As a storyteller of Requiem, I would often write down the player's name and their virtue and vice next to it. Right. As a note that's in front of me, just so I could see as they're acting out their character yeah. when to get it. A lot easier than doing a nature and demeanor, because nature and demeanor gets too specific. Right. And then you could get mired in these nuanced conversations about like, well, I mean, technically I was a soldier. Cause was, like, he, was, was he being a job's worth in that scene? <laughs> right, <wonder>. right. <laughs> so uh, they go on to tell us that the, the, the true depth of the virtue and vice mechanic, um, it's a little too deep to go into right here, but we have a basic concept of what that is just based on previous experience um, from before. And here's a tip. I am almost positive. It's my speculation, but that's why you're listening. I truly hope and think they're going to tie this to your virtues. Mm -hmm. Like somehow this is going to impact your humanity. 
right. in terms of it going down or going up based on this. Right. Uh, so conflict. Every character has an initiative rating, which is mental, wits, plus highest combat skill. So there's no more dice rolling. You go, hey, who's got the highest combat skill? All right, what's your mental? You're going first. Participants act in descending order of this rating. The participant with the highest initiative score X first. No roll is necessary. For this purpose, a combat skill is brawl, melee, firearms. Uh, fighting, attacking with weapons, melee or ranged are opposed roles. Did course. you hear it? Hmm. I heard the silent scream of ninjas everywhere. Right. Well, you know, what's the biggest problem with initiative, right? You have a you have this character, this player, he's, you know, got this badass character, uh, you know, appropriate abilities, no problem, and he rolls a two. And then the the Torador, you know, potter, you know, the Torador uh, uh, painter, he rolls, a, you know, a nine and he's like, I'm going to go for But like, okay, you have no combat skill. Why are you going first? It's just, you know, taking the roll out of it, fighting, attacking with weapons, melee arranged or opposed roles. Remember that the NPC can always take half instead of making an opposed roll to speed up the conflict. In a melee conflict, both attacker and defender can score hits depending on who rolls more successes. So we roll opposed. If I get more successes, I win. Simple. Pretty straightforward. Uh, I roll less, I get hit. When firearms are involved, the defender can only avoid getting hit. So they break down so like how uh, a typical fight would, would break down. Um, you know, you, two characters are using handheld weapons, uh, you know, melee versus physical. Uh, if dodge is used, no hit is scored by the defender, no matter how many successes the defender wins by. So you can definitely still opt to dodge, but if you succeed, you just dodge. You don't do any damage to the opposing uh, person. But you said something offensive to me. What did I say? You no longer dodge bullets? Um, n- no. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, without penalty, I can't just step to the side? So, so when you're, when there's a range attack coming, you can still use your dodge, right? But. If no cover is available, usage of dodge, you just lose your next action and you go prone. You wait, literally duck. Wait. I have to be near cover. Yeah, to it, would, dodge? it would seem it would seem that um, to effectively dodge, you would need to get behind something to avoid getting hit by the bullet. Can I remake my character to spread those points out a little better? Then, because if I can't just dodge a bullet, that's right. Well, because why would you be able to dodge a bullet? Well, it's ruining my combat scheme. I just uh, rather more. Well, well, I mean, you can always duck and cover. <laughs> yeah, then I lose my action, right? Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, because you're because you're prone. Because you're, sucks. you know, I'd rather be tougher. You know, just be <laughs> right, tougher than right. I think. You just want to get shot instead of <laughs> getting yeah, away. Might from. as well take it. All right, so maybe you shouldn't get in a gunfight. All right, <laughs> when engaged by multiple opponents, the defender must subtract one die for every opponent from his resisting dice pool. <gasps> As actions, I'm sorry, one dice. People get mad when I say die. As actions are not declared simultaneously, this penalty is added in sequence with the first defense uh, receiving no modifier, the second minus two, and the third minus three. So uh, that makes sense. Instead of going, hey, there's five people attacking you, you just lose five dice across the board. It's cumulative. So the first guy, minus one. The second one, a minus two, and so on and so on. Makes more sense. If you win the opposed attack roll, you inflict damage on your opponent, depending on how many successes you beat their roll by. Damage is the number of successes scored above the results of the opponent's uh, opposed attack roll, plus the damage value of your weapon. So, pretty straightforward there, too. You're, you, 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 whatever your successes are, yeah, I got two over. 
what you got. I take that and I add my the damage for my weapon. You know, brass knuckles plus one or an assault rifle plus five. Yep. You know what that is? Easy peasy. Paying attention to combat becomes more narrative. Right. Uh, health and damage. So we're gonna we're gonna uh, experience some changes here too. Health represents the amount of damage a character can suffer before becoming in- incapacitated in the current scene. Health is represented on the character sheet as physical plus five. So wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Bob, you, and I, we don't have the same amount of health levels? I'm shocked. Hmm. I'm shocked, but I'm also happy. Right. I made the decision to change my physical category a little bit. Right. My specialty, instead of being dex-based, is now stamina-based. Right. So I get that one die so I can handle that bullet shot. Right. Aha, and it backs up right here. Right. Well, and it, you know that's the thing too. Um, I I was my sarcasm may not have gotten across, but I it always baffled me that two completely different people, shaped differently, different height, different weight, different physicality. They, right. They they all have everybody has the same health levels. Okay. Well, it just is what it is. Well, now that's not the case. You know, if I'm that torador uh, artist, I'm that that oil painter, and my physical is two. And you're the badass uh, guy that was, you know, from the artful dodger to the to the tank, right? You should be, you should have different capacity for tanky. pain, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we've also cut out some of the nonsense. There are now two types of damage: there's superficial and there's aggravated. So there's damage that don't go? it don't really matter. It's superficial. If it does matter. Well, then it's aggravated. It's much harder to heal. But, but where's the lethal? Well, it's superficial. Wait a second. I beat you. <laughs> I hit you with a club or my fist. It's bashing. It's, I slice you. It's lethal. It's superficial. Either way. Okay. Yeah. Because remember, I'm a vampire. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. It makes sense. <laughs> right. I'm Sup- being sarcastic. Right. I never agreed with bashing and lethal and right. different ways right. to juggle. And you, just, you cut the bashing in half and you round up and you do a rain dance and hopefully now you understand how to heal. Because it's based on the damage that the, the creature can take. Right. A vampire all day, superficial damage, unless right. it's ag. So uh, talking about superficial damage, it's painful and it can impair your character's actions, but it's usually not lethal unless inflicted in massive amounts. For mortals, this is bashes, sprains, bruises, and general body fatigue. For vampires, it's all this plus damage from things that could kill mortals, such as bullets, knives, swords, and animal bites. Mark superficial damage on the character sheet with a slash. Superficial damage sustained is always halved before applying it to the health track. So basically, that makes vampires a whole lot more badass. Because shoot me, stab me, punch me in the face, it's superficial. And it makes sense because that's how it should be. Did you say badass or uh, uh, supernaturally tough, enduring? It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Why is it weird, Bob? It's just strange. I can't just blade every vampire down. No, because uh, you know they're undead, robust creatures of the night. Okay. But what you can do is you can use some aggravated damage, and aggravated damage can kill you very quickly. For mortals, it's nearly anything exceeding bashing. Uh, bashes sprains bruises and general body fatigue so basically if i shoot you and you're a dude welcome to aggravated damage you're just normal you're just bob walking down the street i stab you that's probably going to kill you or hurt you real bad we'd consider that aggravated that's a little too close to home it's true uh it's uh 
For vampires, it's limited to a very few things, including fire, sunlight, and the teeth and claws of other supernatural creatures. <laughs> so now it's just a slash or an X. Pretty pretty straightforward. Makes it much easier, and there's not three different types of health and three different types of damage. Like, I've, I've encountered people that have played this game for 10 years and still don't quite understand how the health system works. Just be, we, we've bashing aggravated. How, how does bashing come in when I've got like five lethal on me? Where does that go? How does it convert? It was very complex. Say explain damage over seven is when it converts. Okay. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. I'm just telling you. It clearly outlines it. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> it clearly outlines it, but people still don't get it. This breaks it down. Uh, just saying. Right. So the health track character has a health track equal to five plus physical specialty <laughs> of stamina when enough damage is done or any type or mix thereof uh, has been sustained to fill the track. The character is said to be impaired and suffers a minus two penalty on all dice pools. Further damage to the character has serious effects. So for every damage point a character takes of any type while impaired, one previously sustained superficial damage point is converted to aggravated damage on a one for one basis. Turn the slash into an X. Uh, but remember, have it. Additionally, once damage conversion is done, a roll is made on the critical injury table, adding the number of aggravated damage points currently on the track to the roll. This can lead to further penalties that are tracked independently of the abstract damage on the health track. So why would they do something like this? Well, it seems to me that the whole point, again, is to give you that feel that vampires take a lot to kill them. Right. Period. Right. So there's still rollover damage. Right. right. There it is. In fact, they even call it impaired. Right. There used to be all sorts of terms, crippled. Right. Negative and, and two, cap, negative three. Wounded. Right. It's, you know, with all sorts of things. And they're like, no, look, it's sustained. And as you go over the sustained, mm -hmm. you hear cumulative two penalty. And there you go. Right. Have fun. And eventually you just can't, can't do jack. Right. Well, let me take it back. Not cumulative, but it's a minus two penalty. Right. And then further damage, there's, there's like a, basically a critical hit chart somewhere. Right. Yeah. So now what do you think about that? Having that kind of a chart? I've played in games where that chart similarly is there. Right. It's good, but you made a comment about it earlier, which is very true. It also tends to slow down. Comment. Right. To me, adding an additional chart where I have to roll dice on does slow down the game. Now, do I understand why they did it? Yes. They, they, they've clearly done it to add another creative aspect to it to go, Hey, now it's not just you're at three aggravated damage. Now it's you're at three aggravated damage and and that that attack you you lost your hand in it. Your arms shattered. Your ribs are broken. You right. can't move because your spine's tweaked. Right. To me, that is not something that's necessary because I feel like any good storyteller should be telling a story based on the damage that's sustained. But I think this is designed to make it to where anybody doing this game following this guidelines can be competent. Sure. Yeah, you I know, can. I can get that. that. They're not. So not everybody has that combat imagination. So right. I guess it helps them. And you're still optional to just not use it. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. I, like anything that they put in the rule book, you can go, nah, this doesn't work for me. But to me, my opinion on this situation is it, it, it could serve to slow down the, the process. And I agree. Um, so then they talk about the critical injuries and they talk about armor. For the purposes of the playtest, assume each point of armor changes one point of aggravated damage per damage roll to superficial damage which is then halved according to the standard rules for superficial damage above. So it makes armor very, very powerful. Very cool. Right. It's probably, you know, say when they say like for the purposes of this play test, there's probably a much more involved scenario going on there. 
but we're we're getting through it. Recovering from damage. For mortals, including ghouls, the natural recovery of the living body allows them to remove all superficial damage from the track at the end of a scene, which seems really crazy. That seems like very fast. Like if I beat the crap out of you and you got some superficial damage, like five, and you're just like, nah, I'm good now. But well, if you're whatever. beating the crap out of them, they've taken more than superficial damage, right? Well, no. Maybe punches, sprains. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, for vampires, their inert body stays bruised and pummeled until the blood is called upon. A vampire needs to rouse the blood to remove superficial damage on a one-for-one basis. Aggravated damage needs five rouses and a day's rest to heal. So you're going, what is a rouse? We're, we're going to find out. The blood system is a little bit different here. And when I say a little bit, I mean a lot bit different. But hold that thought. <laughs> Each point of aggravated damage removed allows for the removal of a critical injury sustained. Uh, death or final death. A mortal who has a health track filled with aggravated damage will die in physical stamina minutes. So basically that means whatever your physical trait is, plus your stamina, that's how many minutes you die, unless first aid is applied. A mortal can also die as a result of critical injuries from the chart. A vampire in Torpor will suffer final death if their head is removed or their body is destroyed. What I like about that is, is that if a vampire's church fill up an egg, tough shit. Right. <laughs> They're not dead till the head comes right. off or the body's ripped apart. Right. And you, the storyteller, are determining that, basically. Right. You know, because, like, sure, there's probably a handy-dandy chart, but unless that chart says instant dead and it makes sense, right. you're going to keep going. At least that, I hope they keep that, because to me, it's like, that. that's awesome. Right. You know, I, I'll admit this. I've killed plenty of players in my day, and some of them were like, ah, man. Right, because you did so much damage to him over the amount of damage that they took, where you're just like, well, I mean, really. He got hit by a car. Right. But should that car have killed his immortal, he should be very fucked up. Right. Definitely having a bad night. Right. A horrible go of it. Dead? Uh... Well, trade that car in for a train and make that train going 75 miles an hour. And now we have in pieces. Right, because we destroyed the body. Done. Design notes. We re- we've removed soak and damage rolls to make the game faster. Physical stamina is represented in the number of health boxes while fortitude and body armor will grant damage reduction. Aggravated damage now means any potentially lethal damage to the defender. Many more types of damage are potentially lethal and therefore aggravated to mortals than vampires. So we've cleared it up. You know, we've, we've gone, hey, uh, you're immortal. This could potentially kill you. This is going to hurt you way more than just getting slapped in the face. Welcome to aggravated damage. Now, here's the point I was getting at. Maybe I was reading too head. You mentioned I beat the crap out of a mortal in the scene. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind of crap. All superficial damage goes away. This says flat out that any damage that exceeds the track is right. going to ag. Right, right, exactly. Meaning if I just kicked your ass and we went over that chart, you're not getting rid right, of superficial right. If damage. I, if I kicked your ass and then five of my friends came and we stomped you and we stomped you and we stomped you, well, welcome to ag city. Your friends are going to heal up right? because they probably got a bruise or a tweak knee or hurt right. themselves a little sprain, beating your ass. Jammed a bitch, finger. You know. Right. Exactly. Superficial damage that exceeds the track is converted to aggravated damage to represent what happens when a character is incapacitated but still suffers damage. An incapacitated vampire will start, will start to fall apart if shot often enough. Huh. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, you I know. can keep shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. <laughs> like, right? It's, it's almost like they're making fun of it. What right. madman 
right. is going to stay there shooting a corpse. No, it's just superficial. Well, I mean, there are there there is like a platoon of soldiers there, and they're blasting you with machine guns. Yeah, you're it, look. <laughs> it's not so much superficial anymore, and um, you know that's stuff for you, the storyteller, to determine. I think having an eye for realism is always your best bet. We move on to humanity. You're a vampire, not a human. <laughs> Thanks for letting us know. Can we say, for the interest of V five, anybody caring about a V five right. is aware of what humanity is? Right, right. I mean, it saves us a page to read. I mean, I'm pretty much certain that we know what it is. And, yeah. And besides that, they, they're just stating that it's there. Right. And it, it basically, they're they're explaining to us what humanity is, and then telling us like, right now. This play test, don't that's not a thing. We'll we'll get to that later on someday, but in this short uh play test, it's not there. Uh then we talk about the beast. A vampire is always hungry. Always. And this hunger is constant, inescapable thirst for blood. Is the single most important truth about being a vampire. In many ways, it is the very essence of vampire the masquerade. Well, bravo. To reflect that, uh, to reflect this in the game, all vampires have a unique trait: hunger, measured on a scale of zero, sated, to five, ravenous, and represented by dice that are used only for this purpose. We like ours red. So, if your character has hunger three, she has three hunger dice too. So, um, this is this is an interesting uh, and unique take, I think, on the aspect that a lot of people tend to blow off in this game, um, and I like the concept. So far, the default hunger is one. Only by completely draining a human uh, victim can the hunger be totally, though temporarily, sated, which is hunger zero. And being hungry can lead to some very dangerous problems. Now, my initial response to this, why would they add something like this? Why would they change the pool system that we'd had before? Well, one, because as you can see, there's a pattern of one to fives, right? pools matching things you know matching on the sheet but also this is something that takes the the element of the vampire's hunger and builds it right into the character instead of going hey bob you got a you got a pool of 30 so no some math 10 minus self control right. it's going to mean some here's the deal i'm a super fan of this i love it i love it i love it and this is why we are no longer vampiric gas tanks Right. We're not running around with a little magical meter telling us when we're hungry. Right. Tell us when, hey, guys, I can't go leasing tonight. I'm only got a half tank. Right. I have to top off before I go in. Blah, blah. Because the player's not getting hungry. Right. They're not getting it. You right. They I mean? just have to refuel their gas tank, and essentially. It doesn't, doesn't matter how beautifully you describe it. Doesn't matter how you relate it because it is so much energy to describe right. to a player about what it is being a vampire, how that player feels. That there's nothing to keep that as a reminder. Right. And eventually it just comes down to, well, so what? I was in a fight and used some blood to fuel my attributes and used some blood again to fuel my disciplines. Right. Now I know I got to go use my herd and we're good. Right. Which might as well erase herd and put gas tank. <laughs> and, and I'm going to go park my vamp immortal vehicle over right. here and do it that. This is not, nah, Jack. Vampire hunger is constant. That beast wants blood every time you open your mouth. Right. And that's what you're fighting against. And and what we're doing here is instead of just blowing a blood trait, you know, when I wake up, you know, what what does that even mean? I wake up, I lose a blood, big deal. Who cares? Now you're you're doing something called rousing the blood. You're basically like like it said, it's pretty self-explanatory. You're rousing that blood, and it's causing you hunger. Um, so 
some things that you would do to rouse your blood, things, things that would require you to do that. Um, there's no limit to the number you can make per dramatic turn, but remember to check for hunger at five. So uh, rise every evening, temporarily increase an attribute to one uh, by one dot for the remainder of the scene, up to a maximum of five. Use a discipline to heal damage, heal impairments incurred from uh, aggravated damage. Which is pretty unique. Right. I may have ag damage, but I'm going to have things that come with that ag damage. Right. But wait a minute, I can heal that, but not the ag damage. Right. Interesting. Uh, to appear human for one scene, simulate breathing, skin warmth, eye blinking, etc. Note that blood doesn't have a separate score in Vampire. It's rep represented abstractly by hunger. So, again, we've stepped away from that magical pool of blood that I just, you know, I can, okay, I can, I can do 40 more things before I have to feed, whatever. Right. Uh, now, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and it makes it frightening. Right. Think I, about it. Exactly how much blood you have in your undead body isn't important. What's important is how hungry you feel and how long you can avoid dealing with your hunger before it forces you to do terrible things. When you rouse the blood, you may gain hunger, add hunger dice to your hunger pool, and when you feed, you reduce hunger. It's pretty straightforward, right? Feeding on blood reduces hunger dice. When your character feeds on blood, remove hunger dice as follows. Several small animals, remove one. Large animal, remove two. Human, if not killed, remove three. And if you kill a human, you can have five. Great. Unless you feast on a human until they are completely drained of blood, They've made it very important to emphasize this. You can never reduce your hunger below one die. Now I'm ready to one run dice. feeding scenes all day. Right. It's not a problem. I'm going to feed on this guy. I don't have to worry about him. Am I putting him in the hospital? Right. Is he ever going to wake up again? What did, I, did, oh. did you kill him? No. Oh, I didn't get enough. I right. got to go after another. The, what is, there's nothing to me that's more tedious than having to do like mathematical equations to determine with your player if they've killed the person. Now it's pretty straightforward. You Are have, you killing them? You run a badass feeding scene right. where, you know, Don Juan Lestat comes into a bar and has his pick of the litter. And he gets this fly-ass girl and he grabs a fly-ass guy because it's Lestat. Both are good and they're on the menu. And he goes back and, you know, in old school, and we're talking old school V20, you'd be going like, all right, cool. That's essentially three and three maximum. Right. Before but I, but we're putting I'm, people in the hospital. But I have a pool of 20. Right. Because I'm seventh gen. That's not going to be enough. Right. I'm going to have to go repeat this badass feeding scene to right. do it again. And before you know it, my whole night's been feeding scenes. Right. It seems a little lost. However, this says just feed once. <laughs> right. <laughs> you grab one person, enough blood in system, you know hungry now. Right, right. That that seems to make sense. Right. And it, they emphasize here, even when you do that, you're still going to be a little hungry because you're always a little bit hungry. And if you want to kill them, you bastard. Right, right, right. Go right ahead, but you're not hungry at all. Right. So being hungry is a constant problem for all vampires, and to deny yourself blood is to deny, to deny your very essence. Whenever you are hungry, whenever you have at least hunger one, or one hunger die, you're at risk of falling victim to your own undead nature. I love that line. To reflect this in the game, always use your all hunger dice if you have any, and remember that the only time you don't is when you killed a person. This is like the third time they've emphasized that as part of, your, uh, as part of every dice pool. Uh, form your dice pool normally, and then substitute your current hunger dice for an equal number of normal dice from your pool. So now we get a little bit more dice. So, you know, it is what it is. Uh, so 
if you if any of your hunger die uh, dice result in a one on any roll, the gnawing hunger in your veins has inflicted you with it's a temporary but significant behavioral compulsion. It's important. You're not getting more dice. What it is your substitute no, you, right, dice right, for the red? Right. So if you're if you've got five of those hunger dice, you're swapping out. You know, five dice for hunger dice. I, I like it because it's like you immediately you're looking at. Oh, I need to slow down. Right. Because if you, as we're going to learn later on, you know, you use a blood point for, you already know that. You use a blood point for disciplines. You had to do it for healing. I'm in combat. Shit. Right. If I go into a club and I already have two hunger dice and I'm looking to feed, do I use that presence? Did it cost the blood to use the presence? Do I got to rouse the beast for that? I get a third hunger die. Ah, uh, I might not do that so good. Right. Depending on what I get or worse, I'm going to frenzy because I pop over five. Right. So it this is a dramatic change from the previous incarnations of vampire the masquerade and they are adding in these compulsions and it it seems very evident to me that they're trying to really truly hit home on the fact that your vampire is a vampire you're not just a dude who also gets to like eat people's blood and like you know kick ass and take names like this is a constant issue for vampires and uh, so th there's a lot of things that I like about it. Um, but then also, you know, one of my major concerns was like, well, um, you know, I, I, I don't like arbitrarily enforced like role play scenarios like me as a player. I don't really care for them. Like, OK, because I rolled a one on a die randomly uh, on a dice randomly. I now I don't know, like I slather at the mouth, you well, know, you whatever you only get hunger dice. When you right. rouse the beast. Right. That's the only time you do. So it's not arbitrary. It's whenever you choose to rouse the beast, right. you're going to get hungry and hungry. But the arbitrary part is when I roll a one. When you roll a one, you may inflict on a, a hunger dice. Right. That's when you get the... The, the compulsions. Right, right. right. That's that, yeah, that's, and that's what I'm talking about. But to me, that's not... It's it's you're, you're a monster. Yeah, no, and I, I get that. I definitely get that. I just feel like it's... It's it's enforcing role play that maybe doesn't need to be enforced, but that's just me as a player. I think it's bravo because this gets rid of the superhuman. No, and I'm right there with you, and that that's kind of what I was saying. Like I see the merit and I see the value of having this because hundreds and hundreds of literal times have we encountered where people are hungry and they're just like, yeah, well, whatever. I could push it. Right, and it's, it's no big deal. It's like I got four blood. And you're like, walk, dude, I'm you're walking into a fight with two blood. Right. I'm just yeah. I'm let's go to Elysium. I've only got two blood on my system. What, what's the worst that can happen? Right. It's no big deal. Um, note that it's not the action itself that inflicts the compulsion. It's the hunger that you haven't dealt with yet by feeding. So it makes sense. Brilliant. Searching through a haven or driving a car are relatively mundane tasks, but the effects of the hunger can strike anytime, anywhere, and without warning. You must stay well fed in order to reduce these risks. Now, I'm just going to state this. It's clearly obvious to me why they've done this, and that's to enforce the most important part of this game that they've been unable to do in previous incarnations of this game, which is you're a vampire. Right. You need, you, you, you constantly crave blood, and you, you constantly want to feed. give you the duh face right. when he says right. you're a vampire. Right. If only one of your hunger dice comes up one, the storyteller either, either chooses Blood Whisper, the one result on the table, or suggests some other unsettling emotional effect that also distracts you for one minute or one action in combat. If two or more hunger dice come up one, the storyteller either chooses an appropriate affliction or rolls randomly on the table. So it gives you a lot of freedom to kind of yep. assign. So, so you don't necessarily have like 
things that are completely random that don't make any sense. Like, You're not assigning a chart narrator right. if you don't want to. <laughs> the only way to avoid this consequence is to spend composure, allowing you to quash the unwanted impulse, at least temporarily. If the compulsion table is used, the composure must be spent before rolling. Just like willpower, composure is a spendable trait, and that's a new thing. It's not something that we've had previously uh, with a current and maximum value. When making a composure roll, always roll the current value. Cool. When to check for increased hunger. Remember, rousing the blood, using your blood to heal wounds, power disciplines, etc. You made a note every time you did this in the scene. Now, when the scene ends, count up all the times you rouse the blood. The same check is also made the instant you've roused the blood five times in the same scene or the instant you start feeding. Roll 1d10 for each time you rouse the blood. For every die that is not 6+, plus, add a new hunger die to your hunger dice pool. If this takes your hunger above 5, make an immediate hunger frenzy check with a minus 1 penalty for every step above 5. So, not so bad. We're not going to be doing, we're not going to be ravenous monsters necessarily instantly. Right. But being in a fight, rousing a beast several times, having to heal, do all that, I got to roll a die pool. Right. And that's going to determine just how many hunger dice I'm going to get on top of it. Right. So... Man, this is really going to slow things down, right, Bob? This is like super going to slow things down in the scene. Uh, sure, maybe it will. But you know what else slows down a scene? Not properly appropriating the fact that your character is a vampire. It slows down the scene because it doesn't make any sense. Now, you and I, we're, we're what you'd call uh, seasoned storytellers. And we've been able to work around a lack of like legitimate rules for a number of years. And we have friends that, you know, feel like they're in the same position. Like, uh, as the, this just interferes in my ability to storytell. But what are we doing here? We're really telling you, like, there is, you should take the time to do this because your character is a vampire. For sure. It is not a human being with normal human impulses and fears and, uh, you know, things of that nature. Like, you have this beast that stirs in you, and this helps you to properly portray it. No, and it should be do. a focus. Didn't say that because I'm an elder. There's a different system either. Right. You know, they might later on. Right. I like it in this test is just sort of like, this is pretty much everybody. Right. So, so deal with it. Right. And, it, you know, that was a thing for me to like, uh, you know, to me, I was like, well, what is, what is the point of generation? Like, how are they going to reconcile that? Well, I'm sure there will be some variant thereof. Remember, we're just in alpha stages. So, you know, maybe it'll be harder for them or they'll have the, you know, the rule will change to some degree. They always have a hunger die based right. on whatever's going on. Um, so, all right, moving on to frenzy. Frenzy is a state of intense fear or anger that can bloom suddenly and cause the vampire to lose control completely. It is usually provoked by outside circumstances, but can sometimes be triggered by a vampire's own unchecked appetites. See hunger check for frenzy by rolling dice pool equal to the current composure. If you roll at least one success, six plus, you master your emotions and you do not frenzy. If you don't get at least one success, you frenzy. In this state, you try to immediately and indiscriminately dis to destroy or run away from the sources of provocation. You will also call unconsciously on the power of your blood to help you fight or flee as long as your hunger is at five or less. So then they give you some provocations, and it's basically the same as you know previous incarnations of the game. Right. We know what causes vampires to frenzy. Design notes. <clears throat> this is going to get to where we were talking about. We have chosen very deliberately to make blood a more fundam fundamentally important part of vampire. 
So they've made this choice. They know they're doing this and they're doing it on purpose. Calling on the blood to help you can grant incredible advantages, but it also carries an inherent risk that can trigger a rapid downward spiral of terrible consequences. The temptation is real. Then they address our other concern. For the sake of this test, ignore generation. Systems are in place internally to allow this to be properly represented in the future, but for now, the system needs to be evaluated without too much complexity. Fair enough. So what are they doing here? They're presenting to us the, the, the very basic foundation. Like this, this going forward, you know, just use this for the purposes of understanding, like this is how we're going to do it, but it's going to be a much more in-depth system. So don't worry. Don't get your undies in a bunch. There is going to be more to it. So now we get to compulsions. The compulsion is an irresistible urge caused when a vampire fails to resist her hunger. Her desire for blood becomes so acute that it's nearly overwhelming. In that moment, her beast stirs and her vampire nature surges close to the surface. A storyteller may roll randomly on the compulsion table or choose an appropriate effect at her discretion. Storytellers are encouraged to give players room to interpret compulsions according to character and situation, etc., etc. So they give us a brief list of general compulsions, right? Um, Overpowering blood whisper. What does that mean? Memories or emotions of your last victim rise to the surface, whispering incessantly in your ear. Lose an action if in combat, otherwise remain immobile, listening to the murmurings for one minute. Check your surroundings. You feel an overpowering, predatory need to survey the area for prey. You'll stop at nothing to get a better view of the situation. Life nostalgia. You feel a sudden urge to do something that reminds you of the person you were when you were still alive. So these these are like typical vampiric compulsions. Like there's a pretty decent amount of them. And then they give you a couple for the clans that uh, you, you would have access to for the playthrough. There's, and There's two they think are cool. Mm-hmm. That I really like a lot. Uh, one is dead people problems. That's when you fail at being human during this scene with consequences. Forget to use your lungs properly. All that comes out is whispers. Right. You grow temporarily cold and pale. Touchscreen stops working. You stop <laughs> blinking. That stuff's cool because it implies that all vampires automatically fake being right. human. Right. You already have it. But in these special moments, you noticeably, right. you noticeably don't. And with touchscreens and the advent of their uses, that would be hysterical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's, fuck, it's not working. It'd be hysterical. The other one is Predator's Taint. I really like that. I liked it in Requiem. I like to see they brought it in here. It says, lash out. Hurt the person the scene you like the most, socially, emotionally, or physically. Right. And why, why is that important? Because vampires are selfish, narcissistic monsters. It's plain as day. I don't, I don't even think anything needs to be said about that. I mean, that's just this is what you do. Uh, so they'll give you a list of them. We won't go through all of them, but they're they're all pretty cool. They're very interesting. The, the, to me, it helps the storyteller and the player tell a more robust sort of scenario revolving around the most important aspect of the game that is the most often forgotten or overlooked part of the game, which is the blood, which is the fact that you're a vampire. That's what's important here. All right, Appendix 2. Here's the list of critical injuries. Um, stun, lose a turn. Knocked out for mortal. Stun is above for a vampire. Eyes gouged. Dry gulch. I don't know what that even means. Social rolls at negative 3. So to me, this is like... It's whatever it is. This is probably just a very basic scenario for that. Um, 
Is it something that I would necessarily use? I don't know. You know, uh, I mean, we'll wait and see because again, like I feel like as a storyteller, I can properly describe damage that occurs to you. I don't necessarily need a table. And so if you look at this table though, flat out vampires don't die here. They go to Torpor. Right. Gotta get the head cut off. Right. Gotta remove them limbs. Right. Or the body has to be destroyed. Right. right. It has to be done. All right. So um, next we go into appendix three and uh, it describes some disciplines. Um, I don't know how deep you want to get into this now. Honestly, I'm just doing a skim again. I mean, I read it from what I read right. before. There was really no change. They all seem to be pretty uh, standard. I believe that there is some change for the fortitude, celerity, right, potence have changes, right. but so, so let's hit those. Okay. Let me get Mashiach back. All right. So um, the Auspects, the Obfuscate, I mean, they're basically pretty much the same. Um, let's get to Celeridon. Uh, celerity, Alacrity, uh, first level. So, so it's no longer just one through five. Here's a dot. Have a day. Uh, alacrity description. You are capable of incredibly fast response time by activating alacrity. You have the ability to make incredibly rapid movements, increasing both dexterity and reflexes. When you rouse your blood for a to activate alacrity, your initiative value doubles, and you can add your celerity rating to the rolls involving physical and/or athletics. Alacrity lasts for one scene. So, what'd you notice here? It's an actual power. Uh, it's 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 a it's a dramatic change from. I get an extra action. For me, it was live action combining the tabletop. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, even the name. So, yep. yeah. Um, it's it, it, it seems like they took... Uh, it was a really good idea we had when we made that live action book. Like, why don't we do that in tabletop? Well, we just have this dot system and everybody likes it that way, so let's just leave it. <laughs> well... We're not, we're not, it seems that we're less likely to cling to old conventions. Because I love it, because it doubles the value of it, right, for your initiative. Right. And add your celerity rating to all roles involving, and that's mm -hmm. exactly the tabletop combo. Pretty cool. Swiftness. Your body responds so quickly to the world around you, you seem to slow down. Uh, the, the world around you seems to slow down, sorry. You can use this extra time to avoid dangers that would otherwise be unavoidable. Hang on one second. <coughs> sorry. Uh, system, rouse the blood to activate swiftness for one scene. While active, swiftness allows you to use your dodge skill against firearms, even with no cover, without losing your next action. Holy crap. You mean I can be supernaturally fast and dodge bullets? I'm changing my physical specialty back to... Oh, okay. So you want to you wanna take celerity now? Well, so. Oh, I was taking celerity. It was always my plan. Ah, it was always see, my plan. I see. I see. Uh, you also don't suffer penalties when fighting multiple opponents. So just from what we've learned today, that's badass. Absolutely. So now I can dodge bullets and I don't take penalties when I fight multiple opponents. So like I'm super fast. To me, that says a lot more than you get an extra action. Like, duh, that's way cooler. You're also forgetting I've activated alacrity. Yes, yes, I of even course. Get a die. And your and <laughs> your right, initiative. Yes. <laughs> uh, rapidity. You can move faster than humanly possible. Before a normal human can move or breathe, you are already acting a second time. When you rouse your blood to activate rapidity, you gain an extra action. Awesome. So there's your extra action, including normal movement, at the end of the round. This action can only be used for physical activities. Rapidity lasts for a number of rounds equal to your celerity rating. Now, that's different. Yeah. So you're, so you're not having to spend blood every turn. One thing that we've noticed with all these is my celerity, my first two last for a scene, right? The second one where I get this extra action... Uh, this, or I'm sorry, um, the, this third level here, um, 
I uh, I have it for one scene, and I get as many. Uh, I I it's equal to your celerity rating. As many additional actions. Sorry, guys. You get basically. <laughs> I brain it's an fart. extra action. <laughs> right. For a round. Right. Equal to the amount of celerity you have. Right. So if I have three, guess what? I rouse my blood. It's equal for three rounds. Right. They're all dead. pretty cool. All right, uh, let's move on to Fortitude. So again, we've uh, we've called upon the live action names and terms. We're no longer one through five dots. Endurance. Uh, you're beyond pain or fatigue, ignoring such hardships. Your body simply does not feel such minor inconveniences. Rouse the blood to activate endurance for one scene. Your character does not suffer the regular minus two pool penalty. Uh, to being impaired and other critical injuries have their penalties reduced by one. So that's cool. Uh, and also very, uh, very like the old live action. Um, very much so. So the old live action, um, with metal, I don't suffer wound penalties, pretty much the same general concept here or the old endurance rather, rather, uh, metal, your body can take more damage than others, suffering only light injuries, even under circumstances that should do serious harm. Rouse the blood to activate metal for one scene. Each time your character takes an aggravated damage, you may convert one point of aggravated damage to superficial damage. And we know how important that's right, going to be. Right, that's awesome. Resilience, level three. Uh, beatings that would slow or maim others mean nothing to you. You can shrug off such detrimental injuries. Rouse the blood to activate resilience for one scene. Each time your character takes damage, you may ignore one point of superficial damage. You can use this power in conjunction with other powers that convert aggravated damage into superficial damage. Uh, you can use metal to downgrade a point of aggravated damage into normal damage, and then you can use resilience to ignore the, that point of normal damage. So in a lot of ways here, what this seems like is it's they've... Live action. Right. They've basically reconverted the live action powers back into tabletop and adapted them for this new system. You know what it didn't do? I didn't see anywhere where Fortitude is going to work in conjunction with armor. I, I I don't know. We haven't gotten there. No, true, but if it falls to pattern, well, we're going to get the next two levels of good old live action for it, which means Aegis is going to be the level five. I'm just saying that it's right, going to be right. pretty interesting is, to see that in tabletop. It is, it is very likely. What's that? Bullet permanent will part ignore everything. That right. would have killed you. We'll see. We'll see. Well, and uh, that's badass, but also remember, we only have five willpower. So you're not you, you don't have these these badass because here's a really f funky thing about live action you you could have so much willpower it's not even funny and you'd have these that anyways different podcast different time tune in some other time and we'll talk about <laughs> that crap um, so then we go through the skills and the skills are you know like they said earlier they are what they are assume that that's what they, you they jump do past potents uh, I didn't even see it on here I'm sorry I did accidentally jump past it. I got you. We got we got prowess at level one. It's yep. your strength is clearly supernatural. You attack with mighty force, overwhelming your enemies, and a wing your allies. That's literally their typo, but there it is. Uh, rouse the blood to add your potence rating as automatic successes in any physical strength-based roll for a turn. Pretty interesting. Right. Here's where it deviates. Mighty Leap level two. Vampiric strength can not only be used to crush and break, but to propel their user further than any natural muscle would allow in flight-like leaps. Rouse the blood to leap through the air, traveling a distance equal to five times the number of successes on a physical specialty strength plus athletics roll 
if jumping horizontally, or times two if going vertical. Yes, this can be combined with prowess for some truly spectacular flying. And remember, because prowess says automatically my opponent's rating goes in right. for successes, so I can make some truly astounding. Right. If my potence is two, two automatic successes make up the difference. Right. Then the level three that they provide is called penetrating strike. Uh, this The user is able to concentrate her strength with such speed and focus to make a mockery of armor. Rouse the blood to make the next brawl or melee attack ignore armor. And we know that's devastating. Right. Because armor was literally going to be the king of killers. Right. Like, no. like in my head, everybody was showing up to Elysium in their flak here. <laughs> right? right? It was the new modern day. It was the new medieval armor day. Right. All right. So uh, moving on now, like I said, we get, we get into abilities and, and we're not going to read through all of these. Um, you can read through them and obviously a lot of them are going to change. One thing that I did notice was now they just have a social ability called art. Art. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is going to change somewhat, but right. for an alpha, there you go. You have it. Right. And then um, down in the appendix five, they talk about that generation, uh, the generation game. So basically what they have here is just a very simple concept of blood potency where you subtract blood potency from the amount of hunger lost. We're going to leave this, I think, because we're going to wait and let them tell the tale of that. This is really only important for the walkthrough that will come uh, later on down the road. So, all right. Um, wrapping this up here, we get a little character sheet. Looks, you know, fairly similar to what we've seen before with a couple of different, you know, composure and all that. So, all right. Uh, Bob, thoughts? I like it. I actually do. I don't have a problem with it in the slightest. I think I could see potential for a lot of people going to complain that they learned a system, they learned to break a system or abuse a system. That's that's my terminology for it. And they're sad that it's not here anymore. Right. So, and to me, it's like, well, think of it this way. How much cooler did your character become just now? It just said that anybody, no matter their build or idea, has an equal amount of chance to be considered just great right. at what they do. And what's more important is, is even if you... Well, I'll say it, the dice is still there. There's still a chance for failure. Yep. But this failure comes, how bad do you want it? Right. You know, we learned that if I'm, oh, I just missed it, I can force it through the gap and accept the consequences. You know, mm -hmm. I can negotiate that success. If I failed, I could try again. I can, I just did everything we went over. I don't need to hash it again. Right. I think it's good. My favorite part, <clears throat> fucking blood pool is gone. Right. That's, it's so, I wish I could use it now. I'm mean, just <laughs> right now right. in a game that run just it's it make things so simple. Right. So my opinions are my my initial opinions were like, oh, this is like so many like weird things that they've added. Hey, guess what? Let me break it to you folks. Your games change and sometimes they need to be one adapted for a more modern setting. And two, sometimes you have to take a long hard look at your rules and go, all right, what are we trying to do here with our game? You and uh, to me Spending all of this time, you know, what what were they out of print for, for 10 years or something like that? Somebody knows the number. It's not important. But when you decide, okay, we're going to reinvest in this game. We're going to open it back up. Are we just going to open it back up with the way that it was? Because there are so many different things that were ripe for abuse. And that's just the simple truth. And to me, this re put, basically refocuses what the game was supposed to be about from the beginning 
that was just sort of assumed under the the line of the rules. Now it's making it more more focused. And to me, I'm a progressive thinker. If I'm going to do a revision, even as a businessman, if I'm going to do a revision, there better be a, something to revise. Right. There better be something new, something dynamic, something that is a coffee table discussion new. Right. I'm not looking for, oh, yeah, we made it now to where armor is more effective. I look at it like this. Here's my opinion on the matter. If this game, if Vampire the Masquerade was perfect in the rules, then they would have used the exact same rules for Requiem. Would would it not make sense? Well, no, and I'll tell you why. Because a fan of Requiem that I am, Requiem is still a superior product. That well, that's what I'm saying. To that of V5. That, that, I'm even saying to that of V5. Well, see, here here's to me what the trick is, right? They wrote uh Requiem and they went, okay, that there's some things in that old system that are good. Definitely some good stuff, but <clears throat> let's let's rework the rules. Let's rework for Requiem. Now I'm agreeing with you here. This is this is what I'm saying. All right, we did that, and it doesn't seem to have taken off as much. It hasn't exploded like now Vampire we're on the, the Masquerade topic. did. You want you want to you want to ask why? Right. Why why it didn't go well? Why we have a V5? They didn't jump on Requiem. Right. Right. That's why you have a V5. No, no absolutely. Because you were heard. It was said, okay, clearly, right. You want the next edition, but here's what chaffs my ass. Right. Well, I don't want to. I don't want to derail too much because we're going to have another one of these podcasts where we can we can go over all that after we do the walkthrough. Sure. But to summarize my point, we took both elements of the original Vampire the Masquerade V20 Second Edition Revised Second Ed, and we took some very key components from Requiem that are great. And we go, okay, how do we introduce these components to these players so that we can get all on the same page? And there you go. The way I see it, baby doesn't like the ground peas. Right. All right, so let's do the airplane. That's V5. Right, right. <laughs> you, you didn't like Requiem. <laughs> that is exactly But here comes the airplane. Right. Here's V5. Right, here right, you go. Right. And so um, Ummers. No, okay, that's not bad. Right. So, so anyways, what I'm saying is what I've read so far, I like it. I'm very optimistic to what this game is going to be. And more importantly, I am welcoming the change. I'm welcoming the fact that there's going to be new rules and there's going to be more concise vampire specific things that are going on in this game for sure so i'm i'm totally excited about it um so we're gonna we're gonna cut it here next week we're gonna do the walkthrough we're gonna review that so come back next week for part two uh if you like this share it with your friends share it with your enemies gonna be less dry it's not about rules it's about the application of the rules in the new scenario right and kind of bummed we're gonna wait for that one but uh, that's it's all right though that's, <laughs> right because uh, it's hot now you right know what I mean? right so. no absolutely but you know time being what it is we don't want to yep. we don't want to wait down too much and also truth be told it's a tricky way to get another podcast out of the deal anyways thank you guys for listening <laughs> we really appreciate your patronage and uh you checking us out share it with your friends check us out on twitter on facebook on our website utilitymuffinlabs.com check us out at patreon Buy our t-shirts at T Public. Just look up Utility Muffin Labs. That's our thing. That's where we're at. You can find us there. And make sure, if you don't, I don't know how, but if you don't, listen to our other podcast, 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And we will talk to you next week. A lot of women. Well, you're the fountain.